I love that song that we just sang. It's the exact song that we should be singing on Good Friday. Um, it, it asks the exact questions that we should be asking. Did my Savior bleed? Did God, the divine one, the sovereign one, did he die for me? And I love the question, was it for crimes that I had done? Was it for crimes that I had done? You know, if you, if you go to Israel, uh, and I've had the opportunity to lead a couple of trips there, the, the thing that everybody does in Israel is they, they walk down the Via Dolorosa, the, the way of the cross. And of course, it, it, it's maybe not the path, exact path that Jesus took, and it certainly feels differently today than it did back then. There's vendors everywhere. The streets are really crowded. You're trying to listen to your tour guide and get all the information. It's a, it can be an overwhelming experience, but if you ever go, and, and I've had the opportunity to do this, you got to go back to the Via Dolorosa. You got to rewalk it. And, and I would encourage you to do it early in the morning before everybody really gets out there. And, and if you do that, you, you can experience it more profoundly, uh, more thoughtfully. You can imagine Jesus carrying our cross. You can ask yourself that question, was it for crimes that I had done? Was it for my crimes that he carried this cross? Was it for my crimes that he suffered on the tree? Have you ever seen someone that was punished for something that you did? Have you ever watched that happen? It's, it's almost an unbearable thing to watch. Maybe you had a brother or sister when you were younger that got in trouble for something that you know you did. And it, it takes a pretty numb conscience to not fess up as they're being punished in your place. Uh, there's a, this great song in the musical Les Mis. And, and if you're familiar with the story, Jean Valjean um, is uh, a man who 20 years before had stolen some bread and he was arrested. He was put in jail. And after that, he was, um, uh, he was, he escaped. He got out of jail and he went on to live a very prosperous life. Well, it was 20 years later and his nemesis, a guy named Javert, the, the chief of the police, the chief guard had found someone that looked like him. He'd found someone that that, was, that resembled Jean Valjean, that, that looked exactly like him. And Javert thought he had his man. He thought he had this criminal that had escaped. And there's this great sign, this great song that Jean Valjean sings as he's considering this scene, as he's looking on to this man who's, who's about to be arrested, who's about to be enslaved in his place. And he says, as he looks on, who am I? Can I condemn this man to slavery? Pretend that I do not see his agony. The innocent who bears my faith, the innocent who bears my face, who goes to judgment in my place, who am I? And if you've ever seen the musical, he, he, he can't bear it. He steps in. He saves the man's life. He, he realizes that even though he was unjustly imprisoned, even though he had served his time, it was wrong for this man to, to be unjustly prisoned, imprisoned in his place. And so the guilty man steps in and saves the innocent man. But you see what, what's happening in the gospel is the exact opposite. We are the ones who are being led away rightly, justly, 
It's as if we were the ones being led to our death, led to the punishment for our crimes. Was it for crimes that we had done? And the amazing thing about the gospel is that in that moment, Jesus, the innocent one, the one that's looking at us being led away to imprisonment, to, to death, he stepped in. The innocent one stepped in for the guilty one, joyfully, willingly, uh, obediently to his Father's will. Was it for crimes that we have done that he suffered on the tree? And of course, the answer is yes. And that's what we consider this Good Friday. That's what we're meditating on tonight. The fact that, that, that in our moment of greatest need, when we were facing the weight and the just condemnation for our sin, Jesus stepped in and took our place. Was it for crimes that we have done, that he suffered on the tree? You know, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jason Dees, and I'm one of the pastors here at Christ's Covenant, and it's an honor to join with you tonight and consider some of these things with you. Um, we're going to be in John chapter 19, and if you have a Bible, I encourage you, as we've been reading along, as Jordan and Michaela have been read, leading us in some readings of the Gospel of John, I, I do encourage you now to open your Bible with me, and I'm going to be reading aloud from John 19, 16. And I'm, I'm grateful that you're joining us with this Holy Week celebration at Christ's Covenant. Of course, it culminates on Sunday as we'll be gathering again for a live stream at 10 a.m. on Easter Sunday morning. Uh, but I invite you to, over the next couple of days, as, as we look to the resurrection, to contemplate these things. I, I consider you to, or I invite you to even consider to spend some time today or tomorrow fasting and praying that, that God would, would use this season to turn your heart and the hearts of many toward himself. So John 19, I want to read 16 through 30. John 19, 16 through 30. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place that they called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others, one on either side and Jesus in between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the inscription um, and the place and the uh, Many of the Jews read the inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. The chief priest said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. But Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier and also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless woven in one piece from top to bottom. And so they said to one another, let us not tear it, but let us cast lots to see whose it shall be. So this was to fulfill the scripture, which said they divided my garments among them and for my clothes, they cast lots. So the soldiers did this thing, but standing by the cross of Jesus, there was his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple that he loved, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill the scripture, 
I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this passage is obviously packed with so much, but there are three things that I I really want us to meditate on tonight as we consider this incredibly powerful passage. Three things that I, I think John is trying to show us here to his audience. He's trying to show his audience. He's trying to show us about Jesus. And the first thing is, is that Jesus is the true fulfillment. Jesus is the true fulfillment. You know, there's an interesting detail in verse 23. It says that they divided his garments. And and what you can imagine here is the soldiers that were handling Jesus, one took his shoes and one took his coat, one took his belt. They're dividing his garments among them. But then they came to his tunic and his tunic was nice. His tunic was woven in one piece of fabric. And so they said, well, it's not fair for one of us to just get this. This is nicer than everything else. And so they cast lots for it. And this takes us, when the scripture that this is fulfilling, it it takes us to a very dark place. It's telling us of something that was written years and many years before. And of course, it takes us to Psalm 22, which is a song of defeat. It's a psalm of agony. It's a psalm of David where he is weighing the weight of death. Scholars, of course, some scholars believe that Jesus was reciting this psalm throughout his time on the cross. Of course, we know for certain that Jesus at least cited some of it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's how the psalm begins. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? But the psalm continues in verse 6. I am a worm and not a man scorned by mankind and despised by people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Remember how this was said of Jesus. Let him call on angels to uh, bring him off the cross. Let Let the Lord save him now. Look at verse 14. It says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint, citing Jesus being spread wide open on the cross. And my heart is like whey, it's melted within my breast. My, my heart is like wax, rather, it's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My, my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of earth. Look at verse 16. It says, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. See, this, this psalm written, written years, uh, millennia before these events. And he says, I can count all my bones. They stare at, they, they stare and gloat over me. They divide, here's the verse, verse 18. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. You see, the amazing thing that we celebrate at Easter Good Friday. It's not just that a crucifixion happened and that a resurrection happened. 
It's not just that these interesting things happened in history, as Jordan mentioned before. Crucifixion of a Jewish teacher, this would have totally been forgotten about. Uh, Even a resurrection, maybe there could be some story of a man resurrecting, but it's not just that a crucifixion or a resurrection happened. No, it's that this crucifixion happened and that this resurrection happened. I'm going to talk about this more on Sunday, but these gospel stories ultimately should not just be considered accounts of things that happen, but more like a key, more like an answer book to another book that, that is pregnant with questions. You ever play Trivial Pursuit and on one side of the card, there's the questions, and on the other side of the card, there's the answers? Well, that's kind of what the gospel is like. That's kind of what the gospels are like that they're answering the questions that were asked before them from the Old Testament. They're kind of like this answer key that finally comes along, that answers the pregnant Old Testament that came before it. Who would be the one that would be forsaken by God? Psalm 22. Who is the one that was pierced for our iniquities and crushed for our transgressions. Isaiah 53, who is this offspring that's going to come someday and crush the head of the serpent? Genesis 3, who is the king that's going to reign in David's line forever and forever? 2 Samuel 7. You see, the Old Testament is pregnant with all of these questions. There's questions all throughout the Old Testament, and over and over and over, the Gospels come and answer these questions. And of course, the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the true fulfillment. Jesus is the one who fulfills all these things. Even this little detail here about his clothes being divided among people, his tunic having lost lots cast for it. Jesus is the true fulfillment. Now you might be thinking, well, Jason, that that would be interesting if I was Jewish. That would be interesting if the Old Testament meant something to me. But what, what do these really have to do with me? This is kind of an old book about an ancient religion. It really doesn't have anything pressing to do in my life in the here and now. And here's the deal. Here's, here's what I want to say to you. These stories, well, the stories that we see in this book, the, the stories that we see in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, they're, they're true stories written about real people in real times that are facing real events. But, but in their stories are all of our stories. I want you to hear that. In their stories, we, we, can, we can see our stories. When I was a kid and I would read my Bible, I, I thought that the Bible was mainly about me. You know, I, I saw myself as David killing Goliath, right? I was the courageous one that was going to take on the great enemy. You know, I saw myself as Moses, the deliverer that was going to lead his people out of the oppression of Egypt. I, I saw myself as, as Noah, the one who was faithful to God, who believed in God, and, and who, who did this great thing that saved humanity, that did this important thing. I saw myself in all of these stories. But of course, as I've read my Bible more, as I've understood what the Bible's really saying, and as I've gotten older, I realize that I actually am still in all of these stories. I'm just not the person in the stories that I thought I was. I'm not David. I'm not the one that goes out to conquer Goliath. I'm too scared to go after Goliath. I'm not strong enough. I don't have the strength to do something like that. I'm not Moses. 
I'm not the one who's delivering the people uh, from the oppression of the Egyptians. Who am I to take on the Egyptians? I can't take on the Egyptians. I have no strength to do that, and I, I really don't know that I even, uh, even when God does send a deliverer for me, I don't know that I even trust God fully all the time. I'm not Noah. I'm not the one that's always faithful to the word of God, even when it makes no sense. No, so often I'm the one that's scared. I'm the one that doesn't believe. I'm the one that needs some other deliverer. You see, I'm still in those stories, but Jesus is the hero of these stories. Jesus is the one who's conquering. Jesus is the one who's obeying. Jesus is the one who's passing the test. And you see, in all of these stories, these experiences that we have, the the tests that we see, the sacrifices, the hopes and dreams of all of these people in the Old Testament, all of their attempts to prove themselves, all of their attempts to to show themselves, we, we can all see our own tests and our own hopes and our own dreams. We can all see our our own attempts to find something that will satisfy us, something that will conquer, something something that will give us hope, but we always end up falling short, just like they did. We always end up giving up. We always end up um, not following through. We always end up, and I want you to hear this, needing a deliverer, just like they did, longing for someone who could actually set our souls free, longing for someone who could actually make us right, longing for someone who could actually bring a lasting peace. And you see what the New Testament does explicitly over and over and over again is it says, yes, one like that has come. There is a key that unlocks all of these mysteries. There is an answer that that answers all of these questions, and and this is all being fulfilled. The questions of your life and certainly the questions of Scripture, they're all being fulfilled in Jesus. And, of course, this brings us to our second point that Jesus is not just the true fulfillment. He's also the true big brother. Look at verse 26 with me. It says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold, your son. And then he said to the disciple, disciple, behold, your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her, the mother of Jesus, Mary, into his home. Now, you may be saying, well, what does that mean? Why is Jesus doing this on the cross? Well, in this time, it was customary that the responsibility of the family fell on the oldest child. If the father was, was absent, if there was no father, and we can presume that, that Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, had died at this point, the responsibility for the well-being of the household was passed to the oldest son. He became the patriarch. He was given the land. He was given the family property. He was given the care of his mother. He was giving the care even of his other siblings. Now, in this moment... And Jesus' moment of greatest need, in his mother's moment of great need, I mean, this is her son on the cross. None of Jesus' real brothers are around. They're not there to support him. They're not there to support uh, their own mother. And so in this moment of need, Jesus entrusts his mother to someone who is there, to the disciple John, the disciple that Jesus loved, the disciple that he knew would be faithful to care for his mother on his behalf. He shows himself in this to be the true big brother, the one who really cares for his family, the one who really protects his family. 
the one who seeks after his family, the one who cares for his family in the face of a threat, in the face of distress. Jesus was the true older brother that really came to care for his family. Don't you see this? A lot of you know Romans 8, 28. It's a very famous verse. People like to quote. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. But, but maybe you don't know Romans 8.29 and 8.30, which says this. It says, for those whom he foreknew, those who were in him, those who Jesus was calling to himself, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son in order, hear this, that he might be, Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. You see what's happening here? You see what Jesus is showing himself to be? It's not just showing himself to be the true brother here for his immediate earthly family. He's showing himself to be the true brother, the true big brother for all of us. The one who cared for his family, the one who pursued his family, the one who protected his family, the one who stood in the way in the face of violence, in the face of pain. Jesus went before us. He stood in our place. He protected us from sin and death on the cross. And then, of course, the Bible says that he went before us even in his resurrection. He went before us in glory, that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And just as he has been justified, we in him are justified. And just as he is now glorified, we in him will be glorified. Don't you see what Jesus has done here? He's our true big brother. He's the one that's gone before us. He's the one that's led us out of death into life. He's the one that's led us out of condemnation into glory. And just as he has been resurrected, we will be resurrected. And just as he has been glorified, we will be glorified. Do you have a brother like that? Do you have one looking out for you like that? Do you have a hope like that? Do you have someone that will stand in your way in the face of every test? Do you have someone that will shield you from every pain? Do you have someone that will lead you to true promise and to true glory? Jesus is the true fulfillment, but he's also the true brother. But of course, all of this leads us to the final thing that we see in the passage. And that is this, that Jesus is the true sacrifice. Look at verse 28 and 29. It says, after this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished, he said, this is interesting, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And this is, this is interesting. Why is this detail here? Jesus being thirsty, and, and it says that he said this. He said, I thirst, to fulfill the Scripture. What, what Scripture is Jesus fulfilling? What is the passage that is, is being answered to my previous point by, by Jesus being thirsty on the cross. And I think what John has in mind here, the best guess of, of me and a lot of other scholars, is Psalm 22, the, the, this, the passage that we cited earlier. Uh, here Jesus is outside of Jerusalem. We don't know when he had last had something to drink. 
For all we know, it was the night before when he celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples, when he drank wine to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. But since that time, he's gone out of the house. He's prayed to God in agony. Remember the scene of Jesus in the garden when he was literally sweating droplets of blood. He's been arrested. He's been taken away. He's been thrown into a dungeon. He's gone through the mockery of a trial. He's been beaten to within an inch of his life. He's, been, he's had a cross strapped to his back that he carried throughout Jerusalem. Then he was nailed to that cross and hung up outside of the city. And for six long hours, he has been in agony with nails in his hands and nails in his feet, pulling himself up for every single breath. It's no doubt that he says, I thirst. He is thirsty. We see in Psalm 22, again, this passage that kind of walks us through the events of the crucifixion. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. Can you imagine the thirst of Jesus here? Can you imagine just the dryness of his mouth? And so he asks for some, something to drink, and they give him sour wine, the cheap wine. I think it's interesting that, that maybe the last drink that he had before this was the, the good wine of celebration, the good wine of Passover, and here he is now on the cross drinking this sour wine. But he, he needed this. He needed something to, to wetten up his tongue. He needed something to, to help him speak because, because of something that he was about to say. Because you see, Jesus isn't just the true fulfillment or the true big brother. He is the true sacrifice. The most precious day, the most sacred day in the Jewish calendar isn't Hanukkah. It's not even Passover that, that many of our Jewish friends are, are celebrating now. No, the, the most sacred day in the Jewish holy calendar is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And of course, today, this is a day of fasting. It's a day of, of temple service. It's a day of prayer for uh, Jewish people, service in a synagogue. But in, in, in these days, in, in the day when the temple still stood in Jerusalem, it was a day of sacrifice. It was a day where for the only day of the year, the high priest of the people could go before the presence of God. You see, the, the Jewish people believed that God literally dwelled in their midst in the Ark of the Covenant, in the holy place, in the temple. But this holy room where the Ark sat, where the Spirit of God dwelled, was protected by a thick curtain. And literally no one went back there. No one went back there ever, all year long, except for one day a year, this sacred and high holy day, the Day of Atonement, where the, the chief priest, after hours of ceremonial washing, would go back behind the curtain into the presence of God, into this sacred and holy place to make atonement for the sin of the people. And, and as he went back there, he would take with him a lamb, an unblemished lamb, a holy lamb, a pure lamb, that he would sacrifice there in the presence of God as a signal to the people that, that the weight of their sin, the cost of their sin was costly and weighty. Then, of course, he would take some of the blood of the sacrifice and sprinkle it on the altar before the Lord. And then with his bloody hands, he would place his hands on the head of another lamb, of another sheep that would be taken outside of the city, outside of the city walls and released into the wilderness to die. He would place his hands on the head of that sheep, the scapegoat is what it's been called, the azazel. 
blood would run down. The blood of the sacrifice would run down the head of that sheep as it went out into the wilderness to die, signifying to the people that their, their sin had been atoned for, signifying to the people that their sin was now outside of them. It had been paid for. It had, it had been atoned for, and that it had gone out into the wilderness, as it were, to die. And this was a nerve-wracking day for the people. Uh, for, for us modern people to understand what was going on, uh, you know, maybe I, I certainly wasn't alive then, but I know some of you were the day that we first went to the moon. You know, uh, 1969, when we, we uh, sent the rocket to the moon. And, and everybody was kind of nervous for those three days as the rocket was making its way to the moon. And as Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed down their, 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 their vessel on the moon and they stepped outside on the moon for the first time, everybody was kind of holding their breath. We were excited, everybody was excited but holding their breath as this happened. Maybe something that more of you can identify with is is like a college football game against your arch rival, right? Where you're excited this is happening. You know this is good, this is happening, but you're pensive, you're nervous the whole time. I mean, any play, it could break this way or break that way. And, and that's kind of what this day was like for the people. They, they sat there waiting for the result. Was this going to work? This is their whole year. This is the day of atonement. This is Yom Kippur. If the sacrifice worked, then their sins would be forgiven for the year. If it didn't work, then who knows? Who knows what would happen? They would still be at enmity. They would still be at odds with God. But at the end of this day, as the sacrifices were completed, as the scapegoat was out into the wilderness, the high priest would make an announcement to the people of Israel. He would go before the, the people as they gathered around to hear this announcement, and he would say, it is finished. The sacrifice has been made. The sacrifice is completed. And when he said this, there was a celebration. There was peace. There was joy. I mean, their, their sins had been atoned for. They, they had been forgiven of their sins. God had forgiven them by the blood of this lamb. And don't you see what's happening here in John 19? The, the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus uh, was the great high priest he was the great high priest, the, the high priest that didn't just go into the temple made with human hands, but literally went to the very presence of God himself in the heavenly temple, to the very throne of God. And of course, we know that Jesus wasn't just the priest, but he was also the lamb. He was the sacrifice, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. Jesus was the unblemished lamb. Jesus was the one who was going before his father, making an appeal for our sin by his own blood. And Jesus was the Azazel. Jesus was the scapegoat. Here he is on a cross outside of the city, as it were, with the hands of God's wrath on his head and blood dripping down his face, signifying that the sin of the people has been paid for. And it says here that when the work was finished, he said, I am thirsty because he had the most important announcement ever to make. This wasn't the day of atonement that came around once a year. No, Jesus was going to say, it is finished. And this work, 
This it is finished. This work of atonement would be so for all time. He had finished the work. He had finally made peace between God and man. You see, in Israel, after the high priest made his announcement, it is finished. The the people felt great. They felt great at least for a little while. They celebrated. They, They went about their business knowing that they had been forgiven. But then you know what happened? They sinned again. They messed up again. They fell away from God again. They they didn't obey God's law. They didn't obey God's order. And so pretty soon after the Day of Atonement, you know what they started doing? They started waiting for the next Day of Atonement. The next year, the next year to come around where finally, once again, ah, they could get some relief for their sin. But even Yom Kippur, this great and high holy day for the people, it was never enough. But this announcement by Jesus... This announcement by the true high priest, by the true lamb, this announcement has forever brought us peace with God. The author author of Hebrews explains it like this. Hebrews 10, he says, For since the law is but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would have not ceased, or otherwise, they would have not ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleaned, would no longer have any consciousness of their sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every single year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. You see, this was Israel. They could never really find satisfaction. Because their sacrificial system, is, as good as it was, it wasn't complete. It didn't really take away their sin. It didn't really make them feel like they had peace with God. This is Israel, and I want you to hear this. This is also you. You may not be waiting around for Yom Kippur. You may not be waiting around for some day of sacrifice, but I want you to hear this. All of you are searching for some lasting peace. All of you are searching for something that fully and finally is going to make you feel right and whole. So you get this degree. If I get this degree, I'll feel great. I'll be smart. People will say I'm smart. I'll have achieved something. And that, it excites you for a little while. But then you try to get that degree to go get a job and you're not important anymore. You're not fascinating anymore. So you got to get a job. You got to get this job. And then you got to get this other job. And then you got to get a big job. And you got to close this deal, and you think, oh, yeah, if I could just close this deal, then, then I would be treasured. And, and it'll last for a little while, but not that long. And then you say, well, i got to get married. And you get married, you marry the guy, you marry the girl. Well, it's great for a little while, but it doesn't last, it doesn't satisfy. You think, well, maybe I have a kid, maybe I'll buy a house. And we do all of these things. And, you know, for a little while, they, they kind of give us a little life. I'll go to this place, I'll go on this trip, if I could just do this. Uh, then, then I would finally feel a lasting peace, a lasting satisfaction. But it never lasts. And every, every year you're looking for something new. Every year you're looking for something that will make you feel special again. It will make you feel like you're something, but it's all short. It's all temporary. But you see, I want you to hear this. Jesus offers you, and he offers me something better, something lasting. He says, it is finished. He says, I've done the work. I've made peace between you and God. Hebrews 10, 12 says, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down. 
He wasn't the high priest that had kept having to go into the place of God. No, he sat down. He, he was always, he was in the presence of God. He sat down at the hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies will finally be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, by this offering, by this cross, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We all long to hear these words. It is finished. God is satisfied. You're interesting. You're loved. You're worth something. You're special. When you hear that, you can celebrate. You can rest. You can really rest, not just for a few days, but you can really rest. You see, it's not that, it's not that when Jesus says these words to you, you never have trials. That's not what I'm saying. It's that once Jesus has really said these words to you, when you do have trials, you can face them with peace and poise, knowing that in Christ you're going to get through it. It's not that you never sin. No, you are going to sin. But, but when you sin, when Jesus has said these words to you, your sin grieves you. And you're not afraid of God in your sin, but you can actually lean into God in your sin, be sanctified. You can, you can pursue righteousness even through your sin. If Jesus has said to you, it is finished, that you can actually be concerned with others because you're not worried about justifying yourself all the time. You're not worried about making a name for yourself all the time. There's peace, there's poise there. If Jesus has, says, if Jesus has said it is finished to you, you can actually serve others and love others without expecting anything in return because God has served you and God has loved you and Jesus has made atonement for you. Don't you see? You, you need to hear these words. And you can through faith. You can by looking to Jesus. You can by giving your life to Jesus. The real question is, is do you believe that Jesus has really made this announcement? Do you believe that Jesus has really taken that sip of wine so that he could speak loudly and boldly for all to hear? It is finished. Do you believe that Jesus has made this announcement? Do you believe that you really have a deliverer like this? Or are you still trying to be the one that takes on the Egyptians? Do you, really, do you believe that you really have someone who's so faithful like this? Are you still trying to be faithful like Noah? Are you still trying to be the king who takes on the enemies? Are you still trying to be that by yourself? Or are you, are you realizing that God has actually already given you victory? You see, I want you to hear this. Don't, don't mishear what I'm saying. The Christian life doesn't call us to passivity. It calls us to a confident activity, Right? We don't look to our deliverer saying, well, I don't have to do anything now. No, we actually join with our deliverer knowing that the victory in him is secure. Knowing that the best guy on the field is on our team. He's called us to be on his team and to run with him and to fight with him and to win with him. He has finished the work of redemption. He has made us whole and right. He has given us a name that is perfect before God. Won't you look to him? It is finished in him. Won't you look to him? Won't you surrender your life to him? And so tonight, the question that you have is that you can either look to Jesus, you can either realize that God in Christ has given you a great deliverer in who there is victory, or you can keep fighting on your own. And here's the deal. You might have some success. You may go out and fight next week, land the next big deal, marry the girl, buy the house, go on the great vacation. You may have some success, but you know what you won't have? You know what you're not going to have? Is peace, lasting peace, 
You'll be so nervous. You'll be so pensive. You'll always be saying, did it work? Is it going to last? Is it really going to make me happy? And I'll tell you this. You may have some success in this life, but you got an enemy coming that you won't be able to beat. And that enemy is called death. And I know you won't be able to beat that enemy because nobody's ever beaten that enemy. Well, except for one guy. We'll talk more about that on Sunday. Let's pray together. Father, I, I, I pray that tonight as we consider Jesus, the true fulfillment, the one who has fulfilled all these things, all of these questions and trials that we have, I pray, Father, that as we consider the true big brother, the one who's actually come to love us, to care for us, to stand in our way, to be in our place, to, to take on our enemies, Lord, to protect us, to provide for us. Father, I pray that as we consider Jesus the true sacrifice, the one who has actually finished the work of restoration, of redemption, because he's paid the price, the full price for our sin on the cross. Was it for our crimes? Was it for crimes that we have done that he suffered on the tree? Yes, yes it was, but he did suffer. And he has finished this work. And so, Father, as we consider Jesus the true fulfillment, the true big brother, the true sacrifice, help, help us in this consideration to look to him more fully, to respond to him in deep faith. Father, I pray if, if anyone's watching here tonight that has never trusted in Christ, have never really looked to him, that even for the first time tonight, they would, they would turn from themselves. They would turn from whatever else it is that they're resting on and they would look to Jesus, the one who's overcome all, even death itself. And Father, for those of us who have trusted in Christ, Lord, I pray that even again right now, our hearts would turn to him, that you would wean us off lesser things in this life and, and, and anchor us in Jesus. May we find joy and rest in Him. And I pray all this in Jesus' name.